Station Hill's in pretty good hands, isn't it? Now, honestly, you, you feel better about Jay knowing Cliff's there, right? Just kind of <laughs> uh, let me begin on a more personal note. Um, uh, last Friday, uh, two weeks ago Friday, I was uh, coming back from Boston and uh, got in later that night. Jeannie told me she had been to dinner or to lunch with my mom. And I got a report on how my mom was doing. Jeannie caught me up on some of the changes in the medicine and that kind of thing. So I went to bed Friday night thinking that I would get up and go have breakfast with her, the same as I had done most every day since she's been up here. Instead, we were awakened by a phone call from Morning Point that said, go to the emergency room, do not come here, go directly to the emergency room. As the Lord would have it, her two sisters who live in Texas had arrived on Friday night for their annual time with my mom. So her two sisters were here. And we called them and said they just called us, and so everybody met at the emergency room. We met the ambulance. My mom never regained consciousness. And we sat there with her till about 3.30 that afternoon when she finally just slipped away. We planned her service. Many of you were part of that. Many of you were here. She would always tease me that she had more friends in this church than I did. And, and from her, uh, the attendance at her funeral, I, I don't know that she's not wrong. I kept looking around at friends going, I don't know if this many people would be here at my funeral. Uh, but I did want to, um, to take the time to thank so many of you and to thank all of you. Um, moving my mom up here was, um, okay, we, didn't, we drug her up here. When you go down 65, you'll see the two ruts where uh, she dug in and, and didn't want to come and that kind of stuff. Uh, but when she got here, many of you befriended her. Uh, the ladies in the nurture team became fast friends. Uh, members of the staff, many of you got to know her. Uh, countless numbers of you took her to, out to eat and, and brought her into your family gatherings. And, and she was always, I told her I was going to put one of those little you know, GPS markers on her because she was always gone and always with some of you. And, and you loved her and you loved her well. And you made what could have been a very difficult four years as grace-filled as it possibly could be. And I owe you a great debt for that. Uh, when we got the news and we started making those decisions about getting ready for the funeral and all of that, many of you were part of those discussions that honored my mom and part of that moment. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very grateful for your friendship. Uh, the countless number of calls, the hundreds of cards, uh, all the food. Uh, I sent a picture of some of the cakes to my trainer going, I'm grieving. <laughs> he didn't buy it. Um, but don't ever think those things don't matter uh, because they do. I don't care how old your mom is. I don't care how old you are. When your mom dies, you're nine years old inside. You're just a little boy standing there wishing his mom would get better. And uh, I'm grateful that all the promises that I hang on to have now been kept for my mom. And Right after she passed away, somebody said, well, she's in heaven now. I said, no, she hadn't gone in yet. 
She's still there at the gate talking to Jesus, telling him some things she was really disappointed in <laughs> that uh, he could have done better. <laughs> but I'm glad she's whole. And I'm glad she's healed. And I miss her every day. Uh, but I'm very, very grateful uh, for the love that you have shown to me and my family and my mother uh, during these last four years and especially during these last two weeks. So thank you. And thank you very much. Sometimes our dreams don't work out. Sometimes no matter how perfect the beginning the story doesn't stay perfect. A lot of times couples will come and try to salvage a marriage and they'll come and talk to me. But by the time they get to, to me, most of the time it's a little late. And I, and I wonder, why didn't you come when this problem first surfaced? Why didn't you come when this conversation first started? Well, they thought they could get through it. They thought they could fight through it. They thought they could work hard enough and things would change, and they didn't. And by now, by the time they come to me as a, as a, a pastor of last resort, they're exhausted, they're angry, they're frustrated, and they just want it over. And they'll choose to divorce. We'll hear little snippets of how it's going, of whose lawyer has contacted uh, the other person's lawyer, who wants what, and they'll go through the brutal process of dividing up what they've accumulated during their life. They'll want to know who had what before they got married, what is personal property, and what is communal property, and inevitably the conversation will change, and they'll begin to debate and discuss who gets the kids. Will one of the parents be, gra be, be granted sole custody? Will there be joint custody? Will there be visitation? Or, and when will that visitation happen? Is it limited or unlimited? Is the other parent, the non-custodial parent, welcome at any time? Or do they agree to one night a week and every other weekend? On Sunday afternoons in our parking lot, you will see cars gathering. I couldn't figure out what it was for a while. Then I watched and I began to see its parents meeting to swap the kids. This is a safe place. This is an easy place to get to and get in and out of. And this is the place where they meet. Who gets the kids? C.S. Lewis called it the great divorce. And that is the decision of our world and all of its systems not to be defined, not to be structured, not to be limited by God's commands or by his love or by his mercy to us, to, to break totally free of God's expectations, to want to live on our own. And the world is seemingly going through a divorce proceedings trying to free itself from God. As the Old Testament prophet said, the nation of Israel has sued God for a divorce. And like any divorce, even this one between the world and God, sooner or later the question gets down to this. Who gets the kids? Part of that answer is found in a very old story, the story of Samuel 
Hannah, his mother, and Samuel's call. So stand with me in honor of God's Word. As we read a couple of verses in chapter 1, then we'll begin to read in chapter 3. Verse 9, chapter 1. Now on one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh, and the priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she said, Lord of armies, if you would take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will not be cut. Verse 1 of chapter 3. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. And one day Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place before the lamp of God had gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called out to Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call. Eli replied, Go back and lie down. So Samuel went back, and he lay down. Once again the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call my son. Now go back and lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And once again, for the third time, the Lord called to Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am. You called me. And then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy, and he told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord came and stood there and called as before. This is God's Word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. When our children are born we have so much hope and so many dreams. We begin to place on our child our, our own expectations. Only, only rarely and sometimes much too soon do we recognize that you had a plan. You had a dream for this child. Our goal as parents, our place as parents is to help that child know your dream for them. So we pray like Hannah. We pray like Joseph and Mary. We pray like Elizabeth and Zachariah and all the other parents that you entrusted a child to, that we will hold each child close to our heart and tell them daily who they are and whose they are. For we pray this in your name. Amen.
In those days, not being able to have a child was considered to be a judgment from God. And Hannah was with her family. They had traveled to the place of worship at Shiloh. And there they had offered their sacrifices. And there they were feasting together, celebrating God's goodness in their life. And after the meal was over, Hannah snuck away and went to the temple there, the tabernacle, to pray. She was so moved in her praying that in the, and so emotional in her praying that Eli thought she was drunk and told her that she really shouldn't be drinking that early in the day and for her to go on back home. And there Hannah said, I am not drunk. I am just hurting so deeply. And Eli said, whatever you're praying for, I pray the Lord will give it to you. And so Hannah goes home. She tells her husband about her prayer and her dream. And her husband, see, this is why I believe the Bible. Some things never change, right? Her husband, sensitive man that he is, says, baby, you got me. (laughs) It's in the Bible. Aren't I worth more than a dozen sons to you? No. (laughs) Samuel is born. God keeps his promise. Hannah keeps hers. She raises Samuel until he is 12 years old. Then she takes him to the temple to serve Eli and to be a servant of the Lord and become the prophet Samuel that is so important in the history of Israel. Now, a lot of people when they read this want to know where they can bring their child to church and drop them off. (laughs) We don't do that anymore. I know some of you are thinking, wow, that would be a nice gig. Just just hand them to their 12, then take them to the church and drop them off. No, we we don't do that anymore. But it's interesting, isn't it? You know Hannah had to be telling him every day, I prayed for you, Samuel. I prayed for you that the Lord would give me a son, and you're the son that the Lord gave me. You are set apart. There's something about you. God wants to do something in your life. But then in chapter 3, we're told that Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. He had heard Hannah speak to him. Hadn't yet heard Jesus speak to him or God speak to him. So one night when he's trying to sleep, God calls him. Samuel, he thinks it's Eli. Eli, you called me, I'm here. It's not me, go back to bed. Again, Eli, you called me. No, it's not me, go back to bed. Took Eli three times to realize that God is trying to touch Samuel's life. That is God who's calling Samuel. Now, we always give Eli a hard time because his story does not end well. But in this moment, Eli is critical to the story. He's critical to the story because he is someone who recognizes the voice of God. And he's the person who helps Samuel begin to be able to recognize the voice of God in his own life. If there's anything lacking in our churches today, it's that we do not have enough Eli's. 
We do not have enough senior adults who have followed Jesus for a long time, who know what He looks like, who knows what He sounds like, who knows how He works. We do not have enough of these senior disciples speaking into the lives of younger disciples, helping them discern how God is speaking to them in their life. There has to be somebody who tells you, wait a minute, that wasn't just your imagination, Mike. That was God working in your life. There has to be somebody who can help you look at your life story and say, wait a minute, that wasn't an accident, that was God. That wasn't a coincidence, that was God. And begin to draw the line from all the dots where God has worked in this person's life, to be able to draw the line to their future. We know how God has worked in your life, Mike. We know those moments when He's been closest to you. And we put those dots together. From there we can draw the line and we can see into your future. Because this is how God has worked in your life will anticipate this is the way He will continue to work in your life. The world tells you follow your passion. Really? Really? My passion is Oreos. There's only so far you can go with a bag of Oreos. And if you put a bag of Oreos in the floor, it doesn't go anywhere. So how are you going to follow a bag of Oreos that doesn't go anywhere? Uh-uh. What we say to our young people, our young men and women, our young children in the faith, don't follow your passion, follow your call. Follow your call. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are. Now you've always heard that anytime God starts something big, anytime He's going to do something new, He starts with the birth of a child, right? Uh, the birth of Moses, uh, the birth of Samuel, uh, the birth of uh, John the Baptist, the birth of, of Jesus Himself. Wrong. He doesn't start with the birth, He starts with the parents. There was a mother and father who raised Moses. There was a mother and father who told Moses who he was and what God had in store for him. So that when it came the time for Moses to choose if he was an Egyptian or a Hebrew, he was a Hebrew. His parents had taught him that. It was Hannah who had taught Samuel God's doing something in your life. Learn to pay attention. It was Eli who told him, that's God speaking into your life. Here's how you respond. It was Mary and Joseph who taught Jesus until he was 30. Now, can you imagine, I, I know we tell a story a lot, a lot of stories about Mary and how faithful she was and how a great mother she was. We don't talk a whole lot about Joseph. But can you imagine being Joseph? And God coming to you and saying, listen, I'm going to give you the Savior of the world. You watch Him until I call for Him. You got one job, Joseph. And then when he's 12, you lose him. Can you imagine the panic, not in Mary as a mother, 
But in Joseph thinking, I'm going to stand in front of God and go, I lost your boy. I don't know. I don't know he was there, but you know how they are. They won't stay where you put them. They, can you imagine? Can you imagine that when you first held your child, the whisper from the father that came to you is prepare this child, hold this child, love this child, make sure this child knows who they are and whose they are until the time that I will call them. This child doesn't belong to the world. This child belongs to the Father. This child is a gift of God to us. We get to hold them for a while. We get to teach them for a while. And then the Father will call them. One of the things that's happened in our family, in our families, is that we don't sit at the table and talk anymore. We don't sit at the table and eat. Uh, we eat on the road. We eat standing up. Uh, we eat in the den watching television. Or we, we graze as we're watching our, our phone, hoping we don't miss out on something important or at least the, the last cat video. We want to be sure that we see that. Um, we don't want to miss it. And what happens is, the children never hear the stories. They never have, hear the stories of how uh, their mom and dad fell in love or how their mom and dad made, made it before they became who they are. Your parents weren't born your mom and dad. Yeah. My dad won a trip one time, being very successful in the television business, won a, won a trip some, and they had a big dinner and a band started playing. And, um, and people went out on the floor and started dancing. And, and before I knew it, my dad had asked my mom to dance. Lord, help us, we were Baptist. And <laughs> now, not only did my mom and dad dance, they cleared the floor. Everybody stepped back and watched my mom and dad dance. And I remember looking at them, and I was 13, 14 at the time, and it hit me. I think my mom and dad like each other. <laughs> I'd never thought about them as husband and wife. They were always mom and dad. But they loved each other a long time before I got here. And loved each other a long time after I left. Do you know that story? who you are, of how God has been working across time, across history, in this great salvation story with people like Samuel, people like David, people like John the Baptist, people like Peter and Paul and Lydia and all the rest, and you're part of that great story. You are in that family. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? Have you ever walked into a, a party, a gathering of some kind, and people really not know who you are, and so you point to your child, I belong to him. You point to your spouse, I belong to her. You point to your parents, I belong to them. 
I'm theirs. Of all the sacred things Jesus left us, he left us two, the cross and the table. It's important to Jesus that we gather at the table so you can hear the stories, so you can be reminded who you are, so you can remember whose you are. As the deacons will be preparing now to serve you, to be taking their place, use these moments to prepare your own heart for the receiving of the bread and the receiving of the cup. Lord Jesus, welcome us now to your table. As you spoke to Samuel so long ago, now speak to us that we'll know who we are, that we, O oh Lord, will know whose we are. And we pray this in your name.